We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Bonus review. We are headed back to Gotham City for 2022's The Batman. 
It is directed by Matt Reeves of Cloverfield and War or Dawn of the Planet of the Apes. Fame. Let me in. What? Huh? Let me in is so good. I, Everyone forgets. Let me in. I think you've only seen Let Me In, but oh, it's the Let the Right One In remake. It's so good with Chloe Grace Moretz. Is it okay? I haven't. I have Fu- future so potential Academy Award winner Cody Smith McPhee. It's a good movie. This is where Oz interjects in the intro. Sorry, I'm, I'm, all I'm of the context the of film history before I bring him in. That's <laughs> why we love him. Uh, starring Robert Pattinson, Zoe Kravitz, Paul Dano, Jeffrey Wright, John Turturro, Colin Farrell, and Andy Serkis. The plot synopsis according to Letterboxd. In his second year of fighting crime, Batman uncovers corruption in Gotham City that connects to his own family while facing a serial killer known as the Riddler. So Oz and I are obviously doing something a little out of order. For those of you watching on YouTube, we also host a podcast called Final Review in which we review the greatest movies of all time and try to put a calculation on how great the movie actually is. Normally, we center a recent release around the movie that we're doing and we do the final review. And then a couple days after the pod is released, we do a review of the movie that is released in theaters. We're doing it in reverse this week in that we saw the Batman early. We saw this year's uh, Batman film early and we're going to be reviewing it instead of final of the final review of 1989's Batman film directed by Tim Burton, uh, because we need to add this to the canon before we go down the road of all the Batmans. Um, I, I have no clue where to start. So I think we're going to do like 10, 15 minutes of non-spoiler talk and just try to keep it not vague, but we won't get into specific plot details. And then we'll do a full spoiler pod. That is your itinerary for today. Oz, I turn it over to you. Uh, you're the inspiration behind us switching the, the format up. And I'm actually kind of glad that you did. Oz, what were your thoughts on the Batman? This movie is good. It's Those good. are my thoughts. No, this okay. movie is fantastic. I loved it. I, I, this is probably not a movie where you're intended to have a big, dumb smile on your face the entire time. <laughs> and yet I did even like the, the, the very specific actions of the Riddler as he's taking out his like masking tape and the first kill scene at the beginning. Mm-hmm. I was delighted. I was like, holy shit. This is the way that I want to see my Batman. And boy, boy, did it delight me when he comes out and in the first fight scene on the elevated subway platform and just murders those like, you know, uh, painted face mm-hmm. mobster street gang types. Holy crap. That scene was so awesome. It was so good. The I am vengeance, which obviously we've seen in the trailer for like a year now was so good in person. Holy crap. I, I just, I feel joy. I feel energized. I feel alive because this movie exists. And for all of my hate, for all of my pissing on Zack Snyder, for all of my pissing on the Joker movie, for all of my relative apprehension about the dark Knight. The Batman has me. This movie is so good. Andrew, what did you think? So it's funny that we were joking about it before we started recording that this is the movie that gets the reaction. A three hour, dark, cynical, nihilistic Batman movie that 
I, I'm back in. So let, let me let me be careful how I say this. When I say I'm back and forth on it, it's not anything about the story or about the filmmaking. I will just go on record now. This is the best made Batman movie. I think I've ever seen the filmmaking elements to this. Michael Giacchino snapped. The score in this movie is unreal. The performances, the cinematography, the closed up um, nature of it that you actually feel the emotions of every single character. The detective procedural that this becomes, where it's less about Bruce Wayne and the politics of like Wayne Enterprises that you see in the Dark Knight trilogy. And it's like solely about Batman trying to fight and solve crime. And like, I dug it where I'm back and forth as I have no idea who I'm recommending this to. And it's not in the sense of like, like I have, I have a friend that was very apprehensive to Pattinson Batman. And he hasn't seen like good time or lost city of Z or the lighthouse or anything, or even tenant like things that we've seen. Right. He's just like a casual movie goer that sees like four movies in a theater a year. But obviously he knows Batman. And so he saw I saw it early and he asked what my thoughts were. And I was like, am I recommending this to you? And it's in the same sense that you and I both love David Fincher and his films. And this has so much Zodiac, so much seven in it. And like, that's our shit. But I'm not 100 percent sure if it's everybody's shit. Like, I don't. This movie is going to make so much money, and I don't know how many people are going to walk away with their their heart racing and their their heart pumping the way we are after this. I, I, it feels like such an acquired taste, and I'm hoping the very depressing Batman that I watched this week is is able to to break through, especially with, with what's going. Like people go to the movies for an escape, right? I don't know if this is an escape. I think that this actually is a very visceral Batman, especially with what's going on in the world. Having said all of that on its own, Oz, this is, this is an incredible film. It's an incredible experience. The The performances are good. It movie has something to say about corruption and like the struggle to the, the struggle Batman's going through to actually make change because he's finding corruption at every point. I, I yeah, I'm I'm blown away by by how good and how well done this movie is for something I like I was I was into it, but I didn't expect it, especially you see the runtime and like I didn't I didn't feel the runtime either. Um yeah, I as a general takeaway, this is this is one of the better versions of this that I've seen, even if I don't know how accessible it might be. Once upon a time. We used to think about movies in terms of their quality, mm. and we challenged our audiences to go to a movie and enjoy it. And if it happens to be a little long or a little mature in content, we had some faith that they had the intellectual curiosity and the motivation to put in some effort to push themselves just a little bit. The Godfather made a lot of money at the box office once upon a time. The Exorcist, all these great films of the 70s that made a ton of money before we moved on to blockbuster culture, never had to sit through this bizarro calculus of who is this movie for? And my answer to that question in a really stark way is I don't give a fuck. Like this movie is awesome. It's tracking incredibly well. It's going to make more than enough money for there to be a sequel and like eight spinoff TV shows and everything else. Good. The business element for me is done. 
if you don't like it because you're sad and can't handle a three hour depression oh, crime procedure here, come on. I, no, no, it's, not, it's, not, it's not not being gracious. If if this is too dark for you right now with everything going on in the world, I personally found it to be like a, a vivid way to not think about everything else in the world because I was so transported by this story. But if it's like too heavy for you, then don't go to the movie. Like it's not for you. That's fine. Mm. Go about your life. It's really dark. If you don't like the movie seven, and I think it's kind of a lazy comp, though it's not unfair. If you don't like the movie seven, you're not going to like this Batman movie. Pretty simple calculus. I don't think it's a lazy comp to say seven. I think the more accurate comp is Zodiac, though. Even st- I, I don't I, I I think that sort of discredits Zodiac and what Zodiac's really about. Okay, to, but you see what I'm saying? it with like, a superhero movie. When but- I tell you I love Zodiac, I tell also tell you I need to be like I know I need to be in a mood to yeah. watch Zodiac and this Batman film. Like you bring all the baggage of previous Batman lore and like doing doing the research on Batman and like like. Batman's not wearing a costume in this. This is a uniform at a yes. point. He's literally like like a, a member of the police department in Gotham, it feels like, or an extension of it. And you really get to see Batman as a detective way more than he is like a crime fighter that fights bad guys. It really feels like you're you're watching the I, I, the visceral nature of it is what I keep going back to. And this man, the score in this movie. How, <laughs> the score is so good. How it just perfectly hits everything you're supposed to be feeling and intensifies each moment. And look, it's impossible not to compare this to other superhero movies, but I almost, I almost wonder if this is an extension of it. Like if it's a different department of the superhero genre where you're able to appreciate, well, I'm able to appreciate the dark Knight for what it offers. And I appreciate the dark Knight. Sure you do. And then I'm able to also look at the Batman and be like, I don't want this to be anything part of the Snyderverse or any type of extended universe. I want to see this be its own thing and then like expand on this. Like, let this be your starting point. I don't want to see Gal Gadot anywhere near (laughs) like Robert Pattinson, which which is the amazing part about this movie. I don't Um, even want to see John Cena next to Robert Pattinson. I love Peacemaker. Yeah, yeah. Look, I agree with every everything you're saying. You're getting that. Like we know that it's happening. You're getting a Penguin TV show. You're getting a Gotham Police Department TV show. You're probably getting a Catwoman and Bloodhaven spinoff. You're getting a a Batman two. Like there's a lot of stuff that's coming out of this. Very obviously, when we get spoilers, spoilers, we'll save that for the back half. But it's coming. Like you're going to get a Batman universe that is not. Thank God, tethered to all of the other stuff. Let mm. Marvel have their lane, and their lane is everything is connected. And not just everything in the MCU, but everything that Marvel has ever done. Let them do that. DC, in the comic form, so many of their best stories exist in little pocket universes where they're content to give someone, often Frank Miller in Dark Knight or in Batman context. I think of like Mark Millar and Superman Red Sun, where you just say, Here, creator, go take this character go off, write 12 comic books, come back. Let's see what sort of story you can tell. That's what DC has done so well over the last 30 years. So many of their strongest stories are untethered from the rest of canon and continuity. Apply that here. Let us have our Batman stories that are good. I think largely the DCEU movies are terrible. There are some exceptions, largely quite bad. The Nolan trilogy 
there's a lot that's very good there. I mean, it and it exists in its own. It's not tethered to all of this other bullshit that's going on. I don't care for Joker, but a lot of people who do appreciate that it exists in a universe all its own. I appreciate that Joker exists and that a story was told that way. And they've got a roadmap now. They've done it. Joker was a huge hit and really well received. This is seemingly very well received and looks like it's going to be a very huge hit. Just keep doing this. Let people tell their own little pocket stories with these characters. And if we have a new Batman in five years because Pattinson gets sick of it and Reeves wants to go do something else, fine. Let's have a new Batman in five years and start telling new Batman stories. It's it's like refreshing. Then at the same time, Keaton is doing like three different projects back yeah, to Batman again the, simultaneously, the but whatever. Um, and it, actually, one, one thing, the audience, like it, it is going to like it. The people are going to like this movie, I think. There are going to be some people who are like, oh my God, it was really heavy and it was really dark. I think there's actually a lot of humor. I don't think I don't think we're giving it enough credit for the moments that are funny and the moments that are kind of invigorating. I will say, I'm going to give my my wife's future divorce lawyer some uh, material right now and say that my son's yeah, birthday. Yeah, come on, man. My son's birthday is next week, and I should not take him to this movie, but I'm going to take him to this movie. I, I'll say I'm going to out some of his some of his birthday presents. Is that I bought all of the Lego Batman stuff to get him for his birthday next week mm-hmm. because. I think he's going to like it. I saw Batman 89 when I was four. He should see Batman 22 when he's four. And, you know, maybe that'll uh, traumatize him and I'll be paying for a therapist for forever. Um, look, I I really think this is a very good movie. I think it actually has a lot to say, which I largely want to save for the spoiler part. You keep bringing up Dark Knight. I like like two thirds of Dark Knight, I think, is is absolutely magnificent. And then I it loses me in the last act. And the reason I feel so passionately about this movie is I think the last act is where it is most interesting. Mm. Give or take the Lord of the Rings ask like eight endings. Yeah, that just, so that, one, that's a lot. So the one nitpick I have is I didn't I thought the movie was over four different times. And my theater going yeah. experience, which I'll get to in a second, <laughs> made me want it to be over like eight or f- three or four times. So. Yeah, I mean, that that was a little bit of an issue and a little bit of a pacing issue, too, because, you know, at the. I, I I don't know two thirty five ish mark. You're like, all right, the movie's done, and then it's like coda, 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 mm-hmm. coda, and that's because we need to set off like eight other bat things in the future. But the last act of the core story, I, I found sort of shocking. I didn't realize, and maybe I'm a dum dum, but I didn't realize that the story was going to play out the way it was. And I'll I'll get into details about what I mean for those who've seen it soon. I didn't I didn't see it coming and the way the final act plays out was genuinely jarring for me and upsetting and sort of enthralling in a way that I think the Nolan films and I I, I guess the Snyder films are going for and never remotely come close to. There's there's some imagery that is that I found like very upsetting in the last act. And I think that's good. Mm. The movie made me feel something. So I, I just I think this is really you. You keep mentioning Giacchino's score. It's it's money. Congrats on your on your Academy Award, Michael Giacchino, <laughs> soon to be a two time Oscar winner. Greg Frazier, who's going to win an Oscar this year for Dune, might win another one for this. It is incredibly well shot. I have a a little bit of quibbles with the way they did the rooftop stuff. Do you know how they did it? How they they got like the world's highest resolution televisions and put them up behind the actors. So no one's on a rooftop. They're just on a set. And instead of like green screen and rear projecting it in with computers later, they're actually just standing in front of like really, really high definition monitors. Oh, wow. Okay. So I, maybe it's because I knew that, that I could feel it a little bit in some of those scenes. I could feel like a little bit of 
so all derpiness. The, all the Batman Catwoman stuff. Yes. All the oh, like so pretty stuff, all the pretty like orange sunset things that mm-hmm. are on all the marketing materials, all of that is them standing in front of uh is them standing in front of like giant TV screens, basically. Mm-hmm. Um the more you learn from having a pod yeah. with Oz. Nice. <laughs> I, I and I had some other I had some things that I, I want to talk about in the spoiler section that I thought were bad at first. And then after I mulled them for a little while, I, I came around on. I had some so I think that Pattinson is is the best Batman ever. And that is because as you said, Pattinson is Batman for 85 to 90 percent of mm-hmm. this movie. This is a Batman movie. It is not a Batman and Bruce Wayne movie, and it is awkward when he is not Bruce Wayne. And there are moments in the Bruce Wayne performance that didn't quite ring right to me initially. And after further consideration, I'm convinced that it's because he's so far into the Batman persona that playing Bruce Wayne is actually an act. So it's not Pattinson being a bad actor, which we know objectively he's not. He's fantastic. It's there, there, there are moments where Pattinson is poorly or Pattinson's Bruce Wayne is poorly portraying the humanity that he feels like he's supposed to show to reflect that he's not so far gone down the rabbit hole of, you know, beating up thugs in the night. So, uh, yeah, I just, I think this is like mind blowing all around. I want to hear, I, I really want to hear your thoughts on the supporting players in this. So let me start here. Cause I was going to go jump off into just performances and we'll list, like I have a list of all of them and I figure <laughs> We'll go through that real quick. You kind of, I'll just echo everything you said about Pattinson. I think he nailed Batman. I think this is my favorite. Is hmm, I'll have a take for the 1989 pod, but um, it's up there for, if not my favorite, my top two favorite portrayals of Batman. Because like the code that Bale lives by, it's like, yeah, I'm not killing the Joker. It's like, I have one rule. Oh, the Joker's like killing everybody. So you might want to, like recalibrate something. Like, how about break the Joker's leg so he stops killing people? <laughs> like that—that that is allowed to happen, Bill. Um, I love the the way Pattinson is just like fed up. I love that Batman like doesn't take shit, and as a result, is kind of ruthless with some of the things that he does here. The scene that you're talking about, how he's introduced the nightclub scene, where. Then those guys keep popping up later in the movie and that scene, while it could seem repetitive, ends up being something fun that like, oh, they don't realize that this is the guy that kicked their ass at the beginning of the movie. Yes, yeah, um, I, I was I was a fan of his Batman, his Bruce Wayne. I just don't think it's as important to the story. I think he hasn't fully become the Batman, which I know you don't like this movie, but the transformation that Joker goes through in but that Phoenix goes through in Joker there is a moment where he's no longer Arthur anymore. He's the Joker. And I think that similar type of transformation happens for, for Pattinson's uh, Wayne in this. Um, Zoe Kravitz, let's start here. I love that she like is on the same level as Batman in this. As Catwoman, I think... Uh, just real quick to, to Batman, his his gadgets in this are so cool and very much a 2022 version of like what the most advanced technology in spyware and detective wear would be. Uh, and the fact that she gets to participate in some of that is really cool. Uh, her charisma uh, really pops off screen. And I just, yeah, I thought this was, I mean, I don't want to rank the cat but cat women, but I'll, I'll 
say that this is up there for uh, they nailed the casting. and This is up there for like Catwoman performances. What did you think? Uh, she's I will rank them. She's my number two okay. Catwoman. I, I don't think anyone's beating Pfeiffer. I think it's it's also Pfeiffer did it in an era where this stuff was so much less accepted by the masses and made a weirder version of this character. Awesome. So I, Pfeiffer is easily my top choice. Uh, what about Halle a- Berry? Does, mm-hmm. does a joke. That, yeah. that is a that is a, that that is basketball a, scene is the worst scene of maybe in movie history. It, it, yeah. She's a person who technically played Catwoman. Um, yes. I actually think Anne Hathaway is pretty good. I'm mm-hmm. I'm on my little island here, but she has no chemistry with Christian Bale, so it doesn't work. And one of the things that's so good about Kravitz here, who I think has basically been underused for her entire career, she's so good in the Soderbergh movie Kimmy that came out earlier mm-hmm. this year, which is maybe the only thing that's ever just been her on screen for an hour and a half and she's dynamite. So I like, you know, her actually being properly deployed and things now she and Pattinson want to fuck in this movie. (laughs) And as someone who is tired of our era of like dead, asexual blockbuster movies, the fact that I believe that these two characters would fuck for hours is, it is like a blessed relief from the, 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 I'm sorry, Tom Holland. I love you. But from Tom Holland's chastity belt, like it is just it, it's it's so great. Um, I also think the camera and the way Frazier shoots her accentuates. She has these sort of angular features through her through her cheeks, accentuates her in a way that makes her seem almost like hyper real, like her features feel like larger than life on the screen. It's a, it's a remarkable effect. I think she's I think she's great here. I think she's incredibly well deployed. Uh, there there's perhaps a lot of exposition that she has to do, but whatever. Uh, she's great. Yeah, I agree. Um, Paul Dano as the Riddler. Uh, holy hell, is this a, a like a demonic performance um, from the opening scene? Which like we will say in the spoiler section from the opening scene. This is this is a pretty like oh you're set up for this is this is pretty fucked up what he's gonna do for the rest of this movie. Um, he gets into a little bit of the overacting that I know you don't like, and I I tolerate, but I think at the end, and th- that's like that was one of my quibbles on the train home is that I I didn't one hundred percent get his plan, and then I finally was like no he's, he he's does he's crazy that's the plan he's he is a a sociopathic human being that got access to information and has weaponized it in a way using the internet, which is extremely relevant and uh, relatable right now. Um, and he snaps like that's, that's the enough explanation. Um, I think this is, this is a very dark and, and pretty incredible performance by him as the Riddler. I'm, I know you don't like these type of, especially the ending, um, for this character. I'm curious where you went with this. So I'm not a huge Paul Dano fan. I know. I, I frankly only think he's particularly good in Love and Mercy. I uh, don't tend to like the big scenery chewing performances. He's a wonderful director, by the way. Uh, mm-hmm. His directorial debut is fantastic. But um, I thought he was incredible in this. And I think it works. And I don't think it's too big. And I think that, look, you, you know this. This may technically be a spoiler, but there's a scene where Pattinson and Dano share the screen together and sort of face off mm-hmm. acting wise a little bit. 
I won't get into the details. Mm-hmm. Uh, that scene is fucking electric. And one of the reasons it's so electric are because they pair really well as scene partners. And Pattinson is good at accentuating the strengths of his co-stars. But he reacts in just the right way throughout all of Dano's monologuing that I, I found to be incredibly, incredibly effective at lifting him up. I, I, I know it's big. I know I usually recoil. I thought it worked here. I thought it worked perfectly. I thought it was set up so well. I'll save my comments on the plan and all that for the spoiler section because I, I do want to respond to that because I actually kind of disagree with you and think it makes a lot of sense. Um, okay. But that's that's that requires some more in-depth spoiler-level discussion. But I, I'm extremely pro-Dano in this. It's not Ledger-level, but should I get best Batman villain? I'm not going to fight you. Yeah. Uh Hmm. After rewatching Nicholson, I don't want to get into that now. Dano's great. That's that's really all I want to say. Dano's great. A uh, couple of the other smaller ones. Oh, so before I, Jeffrey Wright's great. Don't get me wrong. I think he's he's. You mean Felix well, Leiter? Okay. What's up? You mean Felix Leiter? Jeffrey Wright as <laughs> Felix Leiter is who he plays in the Bond movies, where he's giving the oh, exact same performance that he does here. I don't go to Bond first with Jeffrey Wright. I go to um. Westworld with Jeffrey Wright. Oh, sure. Yep. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think he's he's really good as Gordon. Um, the the fact that I mean, it's a spoiler. I'll wait until we get to it. His relationship with the Batman, I thought was a unique take on this. I agree. And I was I was flattered by the fact that I didn't need an entire origin story because I was like, we already know Batman and Gordon are going to have a relationship here. Uh, uh a hint of propaganda, but I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing in, in this that we just I, I was a okay with the fact that like, oh, this is actually someone trying to do good and in amidst all of the corruption, you know, I do. I agree. Uh, I think he's good. I, I don't really have much to add. I think he's giving the same performance he does as, as Felix Leiter in the Bond movies, which is a sort of sardonic uh, sidekick type thing. Mm-hmm. But I like that performance he gets a little extra screen time here uh and he, he also has some of the movie's best lines so i i'm i'm very pro jeffrey Wright. speaking of best lines um colin farrell who is the comedic relief that you were referring to that hopefully logan laughs at in this three-hour dark-ass movie that you're taking him to see um i actually thought he was like any chuckle i had in this movie was because of him really um, oh i had chuckles from lots of things I'm I'm really this, dark. This is the dark cynical again, romantic cynic. We've been over this. So um I I actually thought he worked more than he didn't, which I was a, a afraid of going in with all the makeup. I was worried we were looking at a Leto House of Gucci situation where you're just under so much prosthetics that I just like I can't I can't see it. And I thought, holy hell, this is why casting directors get paid, because this is you fucking nailed it. And like the, the interrogation scene that he, he goes through. Um, I, I'll, I'll say you guys got to watch the movie, but every single line he says to that, it was like, oh, wow, now we're having fun with this movie. I, I didn't I haven't seen Batman smile once, but I'm definitely smiling at this point. I thought he was he was very funny and adequate in what this this character required in the movie. Yeah, it's almost as though makeup doesn't make performances. Um, yeah. Uh, just Jared Leto is just not not in the conversation right. of caliber of actor that Colin Farrell is. Um, mm. Colin Farrell is is really good in this. I I this is tapping into something that he's gotten away from, which is that he used to give these sort of big, fun, broad performances when he's Bullseye and Daredevil. Like that movie is really bad, 
but he's hilarious. Like when he's mm. killing an old lady with a peanut on an airplane and stuff like that. He's he's really good at going big in a way that's really compelling. And for obvious reasons, that you know, that was not a great career path for him. But it is a good thing to be able to pull out of the old toolbox from time to time. And he does it here extremely well. I I really, really like this performance. I also think the the big car chase, which obviously is in all the trailers and all the marketing material, so it's not a spoiler to talk about. Uh, I I I thought that was great. And I thought his reactions to Batman like closing in on him or or him thinking he got the Batman are, are great. Like this, this there's a tonal thing here where I know it's really dark. It looks really dark. Batman is really mopey where it has just enough, at least for me, like comic book fun bullshit that it really, really, really pops in, in a lot of feral stuff. In feral stuff. Yeah. I don't, I guess there are just, there might be some DC comics. You went to the AMC Lincoln center, right? Did they give you the long Halloween comic? I do have a long Halloween comic and a and a hat, which and I hat. have which oh. I've given to my son and a, a nice video of seeing Robert Pattinson and Zoe Kravitz and Paul Dano come introduce yeah. the movie. The perks you get when you go to the early one. Thanks for the the <laughs> Hey Claudio, get a ticket. The text that didn't come I, in. I think I got the only one. So here's the funny part. I'll well, so just to wrap this up. I I loved Farrell as Penguin, and I think for uh, he, the fact that he's just like not the main villain is also I mean that might be a spoiler but I I think you find out Riddler's the villain and then he Riddler kind of takes a back seat and you see his side of things until you remember oh yeah he's a serial killer so I can't actually see his side of things um John Turturro as Falcone how do you Carm- pronounce Carmine it? Carmine Falcone Carmine Falcone um plays a bigger role than the trailers would lead. And I actually don't think I saw him in the trailer. So when Totoro showed up, it was like, Oh, John Totoro's here. Uh, I thought he was fine. Um, has like a specific thing to do. And I think he did it well. What did you think? Yep. That's right. Uh, it's not a huge role. I, I like that. He kind of underplayed it. Cause usually these mobster characters get overplayed. I like that. He's more measured, which fits the overall world. And I, I think he has, I don't even want to spoil who his scene partners are in this, mm-hmm. but I think he, he, he works well with the people he's acting against. Agreed. So my theater experience, because I want to, I think we should point out two things. First, I saw the, what was supposed to be the 915 showing on Tuesday night of the, the early access for AMC fans, people. Um, and they, the nerd showings, right? Basically us. Okay. The are showing. And I, I booked one of the last tickets, which meant they didn't have enough seats. So I sat on a folding chair. The entire time of my, I didn't get a recliner. I didn't even get one of the cushion seats from the old raggedy studios that Oz <laughs> wants to save. No, I got a folding chair for a three hour dark ass Batman movie in IMAX um, at the very back of the theater. Um, needless to say, I'm, I'm kind of still feeling it in, in certain parts of my body. Um, neither here nor there. The other thing we should point out is like the path to this movie's release that this is originally supposed to be like the Batman film directed by Ben Affleck. And then Ben Affleck was going to star in Matt Reeves's solo Batman film. And then when Affleck left the project, they cast um, Pattinson and then that was going to continue. And then it became its own thing. And I'm sure like, do you have any other context to add as to like the different things that this, this movie went through? The only 
context that I would add is that I, I very broadly understand that this is one of the most misreported on areas, like what Affleck ever actually agreed to do or not in the series. I think there was a lot of wish casting from Warner's about his willingness to direct and star in one of these things. And I, I just, I don't think he ever wanted to, I think he went on, I don't know, maybe Bill Simmons podcast and said that he simply never wanted to actually make one of these. Cause he doesn't give a shit about this stuff that if he were to pick a superhero, he actually likes daredevil best as all superheroes go is something that clicks for him. And that playing Batman was something he thought would be cool because his kids would like it. So I, I, I question the accuracy of it. And DC has a, and Warner in general, DC in particular, have a bad habit of announcing projects like long before they're close to being produced. I think there are more DCEU movies that have been officially announced and then never actually happen than have been made. And Marvel is smart enough to know to like have everything like actually locked and loaded and on the production schedule and ready to go before they announce something. I think they've only ever announced something and then not made it once. And that's in humans. Whereas DC has done it at least a dozen times off the, off the top of my head here where they've announced like, you know, like the Ava DuVernay movie or Guillermo del Toro's justice league dark or all these sort of things that were going to come and just have disappeared into the ether blue beetle. And maybe some of these things will show up eventually down the line in some, you know, totally different form. I just, they, they have to keep making Batman movies because it's, it's their top dog. IP and it would be mm. silly not to keep making Batman movies. Um, and here's hoping that Matt Reeves is the person who keeps making the Batman movies. So the only pushback I'll give to what how committed Affleck was to this is before the Ben the Ben Simmons, the Bill Simmons interview that he did, he was very vocal about like working on the scripts, you know, just figuring it out. Like he I think the attention that he got, like to similar to how Andrew Garfield will be out promoting Tick, Tick, Boom or Tammy Faye and everyone's asking him about Spider-Man and he just like had to lie. And Ben Affleck would be out promoting other things and like Live by Night, the movie he directed. Um, and he's getting asked about like, when are you, like, how are you, you doing with the Batman movie? And he never said like, I'm not doing a Batman movie. He like played into that. And then like, obviously we know some of his personal issues that ended up happening, but he also went to like, you are right that he has said the only reason I wanted to play Batman is because I wanted my kid like to see his dad play Batman, which he's went on Jimmy Kimmel and said, like the ironic part about this is the first Halloween after Batman came out, my kid went as the flash. So like, it didn't even work out. <laughs> the, the kid wanted to be Batman. Um, all of this to say, what seems like behind the scenes, um, behind, like we have this thing. I, I, I get sometimes not that where you see how troubled the production is. And some people bring that into their viewing experience. Like, Oh, I know this was a mess behind the scenes. So this movie's probably going to be a mess. Whereas like you read the history of how jaws was made and how tumultuous that production was. And you get a masterpiece and I'm able to look at this movie one that by maybe like you said by misreporting seemed to have had to go through so many different hoops to get to this point in a theater going experience where honestly one of the worst I've ever experienced <laughs> I do not recommend watching a three hour movie on a folding chair and I'm blown away by it like it's one of my favorite movies that's existed in this genre and yeah there are going to be times where I'm just like you know what I'll, I'm, I'm ready to turn all the lights out and watch Batman. 
We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Okay, this is the spoiler section of the podcast. So those of you who have not seen the Batman, um, hang around if you don't care about us talking about major plot points. Uh, If you have uh, seen the Batman, I hope you enjoy us talking about some major plot points. So the Waynes are bad. Like the Waynes are part of the corruption that Batman is trying to fight. Uh, It turns out that John Turturro's Falcone um, either arranged for the Waynes to get murdered or murdered them himself, uh, but also performed an act by the Waynes on, on their behalf that meant the Waynes are not that don't have their hands clean of, of the, the scum that Batman's trying to get rid of. What did you think of that decision? Um, 
I think it's fine. I, I think there's an element. I, I, look, there's a, a significant thing happening in this movie where it's trying, I think, really smartly in a lot of places to engage with the culture wars and not do it in like an over rah rah. And I, I love Endgame, and I think this moment is good, but it's not doing the like we're going to have all the female superheroes line up and now mm. have them charge sort of yeah. moment. It's doing it in a much more textured way, and I, I think it's quite good. I think it. It is true that nobody is a billionaire with clean hands. Like, come on, it's just. Uh, it, and I'm not a. I'm. I, I am a liberal leaning person, but I'm not like a burn the rich person. And uh, it's there's there's no one who has that sort of wealth and that sort of power and that sort of influence who's made no enemies or or done nothing of questionable moral provenance along the way. I will say to defend poor Martha that it's Martha's mental illness that uh, Thomas was attempting to prevent the, I don't know, reporting on or whatever it was going to be that led to him breaking bad. But this is also a movie about daddy issues. And mm. hey, that's my jam too. <laughs> uh, the uh, next spoiler. Um Wait, I got a big one. I have a big oh, one. Oh, go ahead. Big about. one. Go ahead. Go ahead. The, the thing for me that I found really ratcheted this movie up was how the Riddler's plan plays out. And uh, there's the obvious like, oh, he blew up the thingies and Gotham flooded and mm-hmm. fine. Uh, the image of these Riddler pretenders showing up at a political rally for a black Hispanic mayoral mm. candidate in functional New York City wearing army surplus store it says in the screen when he's doing his videos uh purchased apparel with all of their own personal collections of assault rifles and sniper rifles and shotguns and who the fuck knows what else and raiding madison sorry gotham square (laughs) garden with all of that shit is like really upsetting iconography and sort of hits home of at least one of it's not that I have this like fear of all the, but of like kind of an intrinsic upset thing that's built into anyone at this point who's like vaguely aware of how fucking crazy the QAnon people are and the shit that they believe in and the shit that their acolytes advocate for. I, I found really, really unsettling and incredibly effective as a storytelling device in a way that the saw trap of, oh, the look at the all the rich people on one boat and look at all the prisoners on the other boat that Nolan set up. We know now after the last two years that the white rich people would flip that switch in like three seconds flat and kill all the black and brown prisoners and feel no guilt about it. Like that is what society has proven to us. This is way scarier because I actually believe that one fucking charismatic wackadoo with 500 crazy fucking followers Mm. could set off some sort of assassination thing. I mean, this is not all that different than what happened on January 6th. Like it's, it's, it's not outside of the same realm. Like it's the same sorts of people with the same sort of crazy ideas doing the same sort of shit. Like this is a lot of like, like kill Pence for not for or kill Pence for certifying the election energy in this scene. And I, I think it was largely written before all of that happened, which in some way is kind of even more fascinating. But I, I, I found all of this incredibly emotionally impactful in a way that I, I never would have imagined from a movie like this, telling a story like that. Uh, I it really, really made it more effective for me. So when I mentioned in the, in the main section of the pod that there were parts of the performance, I guess, at the end that seemed a little uneven. It was 
it's not necessarily plot related. Like at first I didn't understand why he just like lets himself get caught. And then you realize he's weaponized this following of like 500 people into what you're just mentioning. This thing that happens at the garden at the end. Um, I think, I think he was playing the, the, the rise in emotion at the end that I wasn't expecting because of how he's playing it throughout the, the beginning seems very, it seemed very calculated. And then this became more chaotic. And in, in that one interrogation scene with, with Pattinson, he knows that Pattinson is Bruce Wayne. Yes. That's my, okay. Point. He does say it, right? He says it and then walks it back and then says it. And I think it's, it's meant to be stored up as a, as a Batman too. I, I have to imagine they're going to call it the Cape Crusader, but for a Cape Crusader, moment especially now that he is sellies with with the joker mm-hmm. it seems like something that's going to to come into play in the in the next movie okay i guess uh, the, I'll the only, it's a thing I, i'm looking forward to checking to, to clarifying on a rewatch is like is does he actually know that he's talking to bruce wayne i absolutely right think now? so and do think so. pattinson pattinson gives it up even if he didn't know it i mean he's not he's not a moron the riddler character um i i think it's that is one of the things I think is interesting about the last sequence and his plan and how he allows himself to get caught is like 15 movies in the wake of the dark Knight did the same thing. Cause Joker lets himself get caught. And then he has this almost like heist movie esque plan for how he's going to escape from his capture. And then we saw it time and time again, Skyfall, Star Trek into darkness, et cetera. We just keep seeing these movies where like the genius bad guy lets himself get caught. And I, I wrote about this on the invention of dreams. So come read it. Uh, they have the, the, it's a writer's trick because it lets you get the bad guy and the hero in a room and let them talk with one another in a non action scene because that's dramatic and it's fun and it lets you get your two best actors or at least your two most well-known actors sharing the screen together. So people like to write their way into this and they did it here, but I think there's almost a meta element of doing it the same way here and then playing it out differently that this was the outcome to get the FaceTime with Batman and then pivot away into a different direction that I I thought was a, a pretty interesting, you know, stylistic choice to have him go in and that that sort of be the end of it. And I think it does kind of play off of the mythology of what we're meant to expect when we watch a Batman movie based on what we've seen in the other Batman movies. It's now that I'm thinking more about how that scene goes, he might be like nodding to Bruce. Like I know who you are and then quickly covering it up because the camera it yep. there's a there's a shot that there's a cut right to the, the security camera and if everybody knows that this is bruce wayne like his cover is blown and i, I view it as a threat basically the, that's yeah that's more the way to look at it too um so there's no origin story batman just like kind of shows wonderful up. i i loved it that batman is batman um there's like no alfred in this and when alfred when andy circus does show up he uh, is there for like a couple of of scenes and gets blown up in one sequence. I thought this. I don't know if it's a quibble or not. That I, I actually thought this movie was going to be daring enough to kill Alfred in its first movie, and I was like, oh wow, did they just do that? And then when he's in the hospital, I was almost a little disappointed that the movie didn't go that far. But I guess like it's effective enough. And plus, you need a circus for that sequence where he explains to Bruce like his father is isn't who he thinks he is and gives a little more context to it. 
I'll say I, I alluded to a scene that I thought was bad. And then I thought about it more and I realized that it was, you know, Batman wearing a Bruce Wayne suit. And that's what the issue was. And I, I thought Pattinson's speech about how he thought he had conquered fear, but he hadn't actually conquered the fear of losing somebody is a scene that when I first watched it in the theater, I was thinking, what the fuck is going on? Like, why is he doing this weird, like quivery jaw shit? It's just not, it's not the Robert Pattinson who's been so good for the last decade. It's like, I don't know who it is. And I, I mold it a bit and came away realizing that, of course, this is, you know, how Batman is pretending to be Bruce Wayne at this point and not actually knowing how to process his feelings. Cause it's not just subtext. The text of the movie is that that character, the Batman character doesn't become aware of the human role he can play until after he's rescuing people from the aftermath of Gotham square garden mm. that he notes that that's when he realizes his mission changes from, you know, beating perps into comas to actually trying to save and help people. So I, I, I think it's a really interesting choice. I think it's the moment that's going to get most dunked on by, by haters of the movie is the like quivering lip stuff when he's talking to, to Alfred. And I think it's totally unfair because I think there's so much intentionality in what he's doing in that performance. And I, I need, I haven't looked, but I hope somebody has interviewed him about that scene and asked a question on, along those lines, because I would really like to know, you know, what he's going for and what Reeves is going for in that scene. I haven't seen much hate of this movie. Just yet. I haven't yeah. read it. I haven't read anything. I didn't read anything until I got my review up today. So uh, I, I'm going to go look other than like stuff that's been unavoidable on Twitter. So I saw like three rotten reviews, but it was, it was nothing plot related. It was just tonal. Like, I don't need Batman to be depressing. It's like, all right, so this isn't for you. I, I, that's why I, I think I, I formed my opinion on like, who do I recommend this? Like, I don't know if I'm recommending this movie to, no, my parents would like this. My parents would dig this. I, I think if you grew up in the seventies where movies like this, like you mentioned, challenged you in, in, in relevant ways to the time that you live in, then you'll be able to, to dig this. I guess it's the newer audience that is much more um, compact with their viewing experiences that I'm worried about. Look, if you want to go clap like 16 times during a movie and feel like, like moments of fan service elation. And I like fan service and I like clapping and feeling joy. Spider-Man is still playing down uh -huh. the hall at the movie theater. Go see Spider-Man again. Like that. That's fine. I, 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 I don't go be challenged. To, it's also, I'm, yeah. I'm like, I'm like, I'm, I'm, we're talking, there's something that's so silly about this. Just taking a step back. Number one, like if, if a, if a serious critic is sitting back and saying, uh, Oh, it's a Batman movie and it was so dark. Why is a Batman movie so dark? Number one, like, what you take from the movie is not like intentionality matters. And it's clear that they're intending to make a story this dark. And just because it's not the Batman movie you would have made fuck off, like go work on making a fucking movie. If that's, if that's the way you want to approach this, that's not like a valid, that's like a really Weasley criticism of like, this isn't my Batman or how I would have done it. Same thing to everyone who's like, Oh, it's not my Luke Skywalker. Fuck off. Like make your own shit if you want to tell the stories of these characters. You have to look at the intentionality of what the creators are going for. And I think Reeves has nailed what he's going for. Now, if you think he's he's missed the mark, if you think he does it poorly, totally reasonable, totally valid. But like, oh no, they made an angry Batman movie? Not not a reasonable position to take. And I have no idea what my other position was because I'm so annoyed about I <laughs> about that's about that sort of bullshit. 
there it's a very not even vocal minority it's a minority opinion don't worry i think this movie has been mostly celebrated from what i've seen so far we will not be getting robert pattinson in porn anytime soon <laughs> um i yeah i there, there's so many different specific scenes that I, that i enjoy the the like you mentioned the opening scene um the thumb drive joke is the only non penguin uh moments that i laughed at in this movie oh i um, liked when 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 batman they're going it when batman and gordon are going into i don't know one of the houses they go into and uh gordon takes out his gun oh. and batman's like whoa we don't shoot people and gordon's like those are your rules yeah that's your thing yeah so good yeah <laughs> um when he does the irish goodbye which i was i was very ready for when it happens um, I was like, yes, he did it. That's like one of the things I look forward to in every Batman movie where you're looking <laughs> one direction and then all of a sudden, what are we going to do? Oh, he's gone. Um, yeah. Uh, the, the Riddler's, um, the Riddler's traps throughout the movie and the different clues that he lays out. Um, yeah. The, the different kills, the opening sequence with the, the carving tool where he kills the mayor is, is, was just kind of oh this is this is gonna be that movie, um the the mice or the rats eating the guy's face. Well, I'm just I'm I almost wonder if a rated R version of this could have been even darker, you know? Um, yeah, just like across the board, like I, like the overall theme of this of Batman trying to change make change from by by like taking out bad guys one by one, and his realization of how high up this corruption goes. It's just like the frustration that I think a lot of people in positions of power, when they get in those positions, realizing, oh, like this is a losing battle. Like this fight for justice, it, it, it ends up being like impossible to actually make real change because this goes like, like Falcone owns everybody. This mayoral race doesn't matter at a certain point. It's this is a battle um, against organized crime that is has spread so far, which is where. It's the only weird part for me is I look at Danos Riddler at a certain point. It's like, I kind of see where he is on this, but I also do not ever want to side with those Pizzagate weirdos that, you know, will end up weaponizing and, and collaborating to do something heinous like the last scene of this movie. Um, yeah, that, that, those are the main spoilers I have here. Oz, do you have anything else you want to add? I don't. I, I will say that I'm generally sort of as much as I adored this movie and I really did, I'm kind of bummed that like it, it, it's left with, you know, the way this movie has to end and it's like corporate mandate is that mm. we're going to have two okay. spinoff shows. Like I shouldn't have said Catwoman in Bloodhaven in the main part, but whatever people will live. We're getting a Catwoman in Blood Bloodhaven spinoff. Like we're getting a sequel. We've already introduced a new Joker. And I think Barry Keogh is like really inspired casting for a Joker. I think he brings off kilter energy to everything. I think he'll be really good. I think he'll be good against Pattinson, but like Jesus Christ, let the fucking movie rest. Like, like, or at least make these things fucking stingers or something. Just having it end with all of this fucking franchise world building was so like, it was just like a, like a wet blanket on the mm. like, otherwise orgasm of this movie it was just so fucking tiring to have to end and i'm gonna watch it like i love farrell in this i want to watch a farrell penguin show that sounds great i want to watch a jeffrey wright gotham police department show that sounds fantastic i want those things i, I want more zoe kravitz in my life like all of these things are good just 
good God, like let, let me have a complete fucking story in a movie. And if you need to leave like one thing open, like if it ended and the only setup was the, was like the splitting of the two of them going off. And we didn't know that all this fucking stuff was coming. It would just be, it would just be so much better because Warner has an edict. There's a, an edict from on high at Warner and maybe it's changed with the way some of the ownership structure has, has shifted in the last couple of months, but every big budget motion picture is supposed to be designed with the promise of a spinoff series to go to HBO max or spinoff movies or something to go to HBO max. And Holy shit. That's tiring. Like the matrix one, isn't going to happen. They were going to do a Jessica Henwick show, but the movie failed. So they're not going to do that. I, I don't think um, it's just, like, please, for the love of God, let me have a movie that's not a cinematic universe. Can I push back a little bit? Please. You're you. You see it in you're significantly more informed than the average moviegoer. Fair. You see, as we pointed out in our top 10 pods, three <laughs> times the amount of movies that a high volume moviegoer and myself gets to see. I see a movie every day, basically. Yeah. So like the average moviegoer might not know that. They might not know that there's a, a Catwoman show coming. They might not know like that Barry Keogh's even in the movie. They might not even recognize him, that that's him in the they cell. Don't, I mean, he's not a star. They know that it's Joker in the cell next door. Right, but they, but. they were probably wondering, like, like that probably came as a shock to them that there is a Joker tease and it sets up for them. Like, that's who those scenes are for. Oh, and sure. The cinematic universe is like, that's. That's unfortunately the world we live in now. Yeah. And oh, no, of course. Those, those people, are what's the average moviegoer is going to expect, which is where like I personally stood up because I needed to after the experience that I had when he started narrating and helping people out of the garden. And then I was like, all right, so the movie's over. And then I looked at my phone and was like, wait a minute, there's still 20 minutes left. Wait a minute. And then, you know, you get two more scenes of the Joker with the Riddler talking and then you get Catwoman and, and Batman. He's never called Batman in the movie, too. I love that. The fact that he's vengeance or the bat in specific oh. parts of the movie. He never says, I'm Batman. Like, I, I, I actually, at a certain point, paid attention to it. There's two huh. sequences where uh, Penguin calls him the bat, and then uh, Catwoman at the end goes, the bat and the cat. Like, that's those are the only <laughs> times he's references as Batman. He's called vengeance throughout the movie. Um, yeah, I... I took that as like, yeah, it's it's mandating, but I also recognize that you and I are gonna know way more than like the average moviegoer that's gonna see this movie this weekend. Oh yeah, I just want the probably not this weekend, but like three weeks from now. Um, I is where the average moviegoer won't know this stuff. It's not like anyone went to see Spider Man No Way Home opening weekend and didn't know that that Andrew Garfield and Tobey Maguire were in that movie. Like everybody, everybody knew that who's connected to the internet. Like if you're on the internet enough that you know that it's the, it's the time it's like the one hour window where you can buy tickets for opening weekend before it's sold out, mm -hmm. you know, some of this basic stuff about what they're doing. So yes, I agree. The long-term people aren't going to know, but what I'm saying is that the people who are going to see the Batman on weekend four don't actually give a fuck about your spinoff TV shows. They don't need like a long pregnant look of the pain overlooking his new criminal empire out the window. They don't need that because they don't care. They're going to wait to see what their friends who give a shit about this stuff say. It's kind of like Peacemaker. Like a bunch of people watched the Suicide right. Squad when on HBO Max and nobody gave a shit about Peacemaker. It was like it did okay viewership. So the data tells us, but like it wasn't a thing. And then it just grew every week because people watched it and liked it and went out and proselytized for it. But nobody came away from Suicide Squad and was like, 
oh my God, I need a peacemaker show. Not, not at all. I, that was certainly wasn't my, I love Suicide Squad. And that was not my takeaway of like, yes, I'm really excited for this spinoff show we're teasing in the stinger. And I don't think the normal, I, I, I certainly don't think the normal people are like, I need way more of this stuff. The people who go to like, you know, two or three movies a year. I don't know. It's just, it's just such a fucking bummer. It's just such a bummer that it all needs to be interconnected and no movie can ever exist by itself ever anymore. Even like Lord of the Rings, where it's like the first of three, if you take fellowship, it's like a complete story that leads into the next complete story. It's not like here's the fellowship of the ring. And then here's our like, here's our like Boromir prequel story spinoff. Oh, and here we're going to do an Aragon movie over here as well. And then we're all going to come back in four years and do the two towers. It's not, it's a, doing that it's just uh, it would be so much better if it was just simpler simpler more direct like this is your story and we're going to do another one i empathize i think that that's a, that's 2002 that's the yeah you know it is system I, that we lived in that it's because the system is broken and this is another symptom of how it's broken it might be i i'm a little i know people that are going to go see this movie this weekend that have no idea that joker's in this movie i know people well, they don't they don't need to know that joker's in this that's fine like that's or one. have any idea Do that there's one a of bunch the of hbo shows spin-offs. coming out like uh, any spinoffs are coming out. i think you and i are significantly more informed in our movie going and you could say like it's week four i think there are people that will see it this weekend that have no idea that any of these other things are coming all of these people are going to stay for like 14 minutes of credits to yeah, see that's the there's funny part. I see that the there's credits, by the way, there's nothing at the end. <laughs> well, no, it types goodbye in the green Yeah, that's font. it. There's nothing yeah. at the end. It's a completionist yeah, thing. If you want to see the end of the, the end. movie, just because there's, there's nothing, no stinger. So like everyone has been so trained by Marvel to expect like, this is what we're going to get. We're going to get a tease for the next thing. And then we're going to go on the internet. Cause it's not like anyone knows who like Pip the troll is or whatever mm-hmm. the fuck. Like, Nobody knew like that was Mahershala Ali's voice or that uh, Kit Harrington is is Black Knight. Like mm-hmm. b- fucking huge nerds don't know this shit. Yeah. Let a- let alone like average moviegoers, and yet they still stay there. And those fucking articles that are like, oh my god, you won't believe who that voice was at the end of Eternals. Those fucking articles drive like millions of hits for fucking Screen Rant and sites like that. So I. I, I mean, look, there, there's like an an industry of people who want this, like these teases and then go follow up on it. And everyone kind of like creates this like nexus of we're going to tease yeah. something and then you're going to pump it for us. And then you're going to keep pumping it as it's coming. And that's going to make it matter more to people. And it's fucking sickening. And nobody ever wants to just have a movie and write about a movie and watch the movie and talk about the movie and argue about the movie anymore because everything has to be about what's next. And we're guilty of it. I want to see fucking Barry Keough Joker. That's great. Like, that's fucking perfect casting. That's so different than Phoenix. It's like exactly the right sort of different vibe to find. And fuck, like, I'm, I'm guilty. But damn it. I just wish that we could have one of these fucking things end like Logan, where it just fucking mm. ends. And anything that you're like wish casting about an X-23 thing is like you wish casting because that is not a movie with a fucking sequel. And Logan's the last movie in that thing. It's in that universe. Well, sure. It can I, don't, be- I don't acknowledge Dark Phoenix, so I will say <laughs> it's the last movie in that franchise. It Poor New Mutants. Well, it but was it, made to end at least Logan's story. So there was no like what yeah. for this. This is this is the the jump off point here. Which, sure. I guess and for me, I'm think I'm of how not, think of how the Dark Knight ends. The ending of the Dark Knight, leaving aside the fact that the last act has issues. The mm-hmm. ending of the Dark Knight is Harvey Two Face is dead. The Joker is in jail. 
And Batman has taken a heel turn in the public persona because that's what Gotham needs. And he's run off into the night by the dogs. And that's the end of the movie. That's really fucking good because that leaves you a setup for a future movie without this like tortured universe of other shit to get to. And the Dark Knight is a sequel. Think of how Batman begins ends with the card of this guy wants to see you. This is the next guy that teases. Fine, it's Joker. one tease. It's one right, tease for that one next I think movie. Is, that I think is the next because it's the first. It has to tease. Well, sure. Next. Look, I don't. I get what you're saying, and I. If this wasn't like, if this wasn't like clearly going to be the start of something, I would have. I would be right there with you. I think I'm able to compartmentalize that the movie for me ends when he's doing that narration at the garden, and then and everything else is a would, yeah, like everything right. else is just what's next. Like I, I was able yeah, it's to like seven my, stingers before the credits. Totally agree. It, it's two, but I, I get what you're saying for emphasis. <laughs> I think that is it only two. Scenes, it's there's the there's scene the, with there's the Joker the, and then there's the great there's the graveyard scene with Catwoman. There's the peng, there's the penguin scene in the tower overlooking Gotham. There's a penguin scene in the tower. Yeah, there's a scene of, of penguin taking over Falcone's office and looking out over Gotham oh, so from the pool three, table okay. by by there. There's also like the there's multiple elements to the Catwoman scene. It's not just like will he go to Bloodhaven or not. There's them like splitting off, pulling a little a little Furious Seven there. So there, there's just thing lots is that of the movie ends. That my point is that the movie ends for me like the story ends there. And if you're looking everything after that is just this studio also making yes. sure that you know that there's more next, which I it's guess a bummer. I'm, I'm not bummed out by it. I'm trained to know that this is, especially for what this IP has always entailed. This is going to be something that gets, especially since it's good, it's going to be something good. that leads it's into something so next. Like I, I'm, I don't know. I'm able to understand, especially in an industry where, like less and less people are going to the movies. This is now going to now set people up. Yeah, but you're you're next. you're kind of talking past my point. I understand why this has to happen. Like mm -hmm. I get it. I understand business wise. I'm saying that it is it is hurting the quality of the movies by leaving these fucking hanging chads on the end of it. Like this is this is a movie that ended structurally perfectly at Madison Square Garden with Batman helping strap that kid into the helicopter gurney. That is where this movie should have ended. That is where the themes of this movie ended. And everything else is a postscript. It's an epilogue. It is not something that actually furthers the story called the Batman. It is a corporate mandate. And I'm arguing that all that stuff is necessary from a business perspective. All of that makes them more money. All of that flogs the fan base and gets everyone frothy for Cape Crusader in four years or whenever the fuck it comes out. I get all that from a business perspective. I'm saying that it is hurting the films artistically to tack 20 minutes of bullshit onto the end of it. And if they want to do this, they should relegate it to the stingers mm -hmm. so that I view personally, when I watch, go to an MCU movie, it ends when the credits start and everything else is like watching trailers. So when we got the trailer for Doctor Strange at the end of No Way Home, that's exactly the same way as I think about it when we get Harry Styles at the end of Eternals. All of it's just a trailer for something in the future to me and not something that's part of the film. But when you put it before the credits, it carries the weight of being part of the original story in a different way. And I think it undercuts what they're going for, that there's just 20 minutes that thematically I need to sort of write out of the movie. I guess there's some thematic resonance to the splitting of Catwoman and Batman. That's fine. And his choice to stay and her choice to go. There's value there. Everything else is just churn for a sequel. It's fair. I think 
So like to your point, years from now, when we rewatch the Batman, we're also going to be like, oh, yeah, that teased the Joker. Whatever the Joker ends up being part of this universe, this teases the Catwoman yes. spinoff. Um, whereas you don't have that with other properties in the past. Yes. I think I personally was able to make the connection because I expected that to happen. I was actually I was OK that you could have left and not stayed for the entire credits if you wanted to as somebody who had to catch a train after the movie. Thankfully, the movie ended with enough time for me to see what the actual final shot was. Um, okay. I, I'm sorry that I hope that didn't ruin the movie for you too much. I just, I know no, it's, I was ready for it more than, than you were. I think um, I was, I was ready for it and disappointed that I was right to be ready for it. Mm-hmm. But look, uh, this is my this is my bit. I bemoan the death of the film industry, and this this stuff. I'm telling you, for people like us, it's fine because we're going to be there. For I have a lot of friends who used to go to the movies a lot who hate mm-hmm. the shit, who hate the idea that they have to like sit homework. through yeah. this shit and can't have a complete experience. All it is is a tease for other stuff to come down the line. That is, it really undercuts the dramatic power for them. And I think with the, the, that's my frustration. This movie is so good dramatically. I buy the arc. I never really buy the bail arc in the Nolan movies as much as I particularly like Batman Begins. I, I don't think the arc quite makes sense of how we get from him like faking his death and retired and Dark Knight Rises or if he's dead or whatever. Um, I, I, it, doesn't, it doesn't all cohere to me. It feels like they're kind of pivoting with what story they want to tell each time. This to me is such a perfect little Bruce Wayne coming back to life out of the Batman that had consumed him arc that to add all this shit in and look, movies need to be read in their totality. It's it's like pretending you're just cutting the last hundred pages off of a book that you're reading. Like this stuff is all part of the movie and they've chosen to undercut the power of their simple thematic thing by adding all this extra crap. But otherwise, this movie's great. Sorry, no more me- no more fucking pessimism. <laughs> um, thank you for checking out our review, both on YouTube and here on the podcast feed of the Batman. Uh, if you dig the show, head over to iTunes for five star rating and review. You can read Oz's written review of the Batman over at the Invention of Dreams. Pretty lengthy written review, but it's a little bit um, of a book. Yeah, uh, listen, when Oz likes something, he likes it. So, or when he hates it. <laughs> <laughs> or he hates it. He hates it. Um, so check that out there. Thank you for listening and tune in next time for another final review. Underneath the bridge, top is from-